Hi everyone and welcome to our season recap and lettings market update. Now is a great opportunity for us to share some knowledge, some stats, some figures and give everyone that's either a landlord now or potentially looking to be a landlord some real insight into what's going on with the market at the moment. I mean, really, you're looking about £800 a month profit on that particular asset. They've had money in the bank and it's not earning them any money. What, what can they do with it? What should they do with that? Look, with an 18-day void periods that simply means that landlords are holding back their properties to, to decorate them in between tenancies 18 days can't get any shorter than that on average so we're going to touch base on a recap with the six episodes later on but first of all we're going to get stuck into some market data and some stats and figures with exactly what's going on in the uk property market and rentals so tristan i know you get some great information from our referencing company that we work with um, but give us a little bit of an insight into what you're seeing at the moment across the board with data yeah, so you've certainly seen a, an increase, um, whereas people thought it was going to slow down in the marketplace. I haven't seen it slow down whatsoever, although the stats show slightly different. According to uh, Good Lords, Southeast England has dipped by 1.5%, but 1.5% is very marginal, and I don't expect it to have much difference in the marketplace, in my opinion. I mean, every property that we've listed has gone pretty much on first appointments with multiple offers at the asking price or above. So demand's certainly there. Lack of stock is definitely still an issue. So just, just give me an insight into that 1.5%. What, what is that exact data margin on and what's the timescale of that? So that's between month by month. So it, it's dipped by 1.5% in December from November, so from the month before, which typically would happen at that time of year. But as we all know, COVID's... Uh, the, the horrible word it is has affected the market, uh, but in my opinion, it hasn't this year. It's been sort of fairly steady throughout. So 1.5% to me is is nothing to worry yeah. about. Yeah, it's almost nothing. I think typically across 2021, we saw rents drastically increasing, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, you've seen much bigger rises throughout the year. And I'd go on record, say 1.5% is probably the lowest December drop in rents I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. There's always a seasonal drop. There's generally a seasonal drop if you're buying a property. It's generally a seasonal drop if you're renting a property. So to see a 1.5% change in rentals is um, a drop in the ocean compared to the increases that we've seen over the last over the last 12 months. For me, it's it's important to look at why rental prices have gone up the way they've gone up, and the. <laughs> The fact is twice as many landlords are selling property as buying them. So it's causing a supply issue. There's still plenty of tenants out there. As we know, everybody wants to move. Everyone wants to buy a house. Everyone wants to rent a house. Everyone's got a bit more money than they did last year, but there's less rental stock available. I think it's a big reason why we do this podcast is um, obviously from our perspective, if we had more landlords, it would be fantastic. But we wanted to give new landlords, potential landlords that are looking to invest in property, I guess the confidence and the knowledge to be able to do it. And that stat in itself, seeing twice as many landlords are selling their investments than buying is quite a, a wow factor statistic based on where is that money going? Why are they selling those properties? Maybe we don't know the answer to that, um, but it's very important to people that are looking to invest in property to know that they're going to have high rental prices compared to maybe what it was 12 months ago because of that supply and demand issue. Um, demand is massively up. And if we talk about the sales market, and I guess when a property investor is looking to invest in property, they don't just want to see that they've got a good monthly return. They want to see that the long-term factor of it has got good equity growth. So what is happening in the sales market 
at the start of 2022, even though we're just a couple of weeks in, we already get some fantastic data from Zoopla, from Rightmove, our own internal data as well. But I saw the Rightmove blog just this week and it did actually say that valuation requests for sellers in the first two weeks of Rightmove is up 44% on this time last year. And the reason why that's significant is it means we will see that come to an influx of new listings over the next couple of weeks as they turn into instructions and get the marketing done. But when you compare that to this time last year where we just had a stamp duty holiday extension, it really shows that a lot of people are looking to potentially move in this part of the year. And the stamp duty holiday was apparently the big catalyst for for why the market kicked off. Well, we don't have that anymore and still people are looking to sell. And you add that to the 15% growth of buyers searching, more people are looking to sell than this time last year and more people are looking to buy than this time last year. So it's a real positive for the market. So I think if you are going to invest this year and people are worried that maybe the 11, 12% increase on property prices last year has the boat has gone, if you like, evidence is probably that it hasn't done. Um, so from a sales point of view, investing in property now rather than selling seems to be a real safe bet. What are the other kind of stats that we're getting from from our referencing company, Tristan, what other data are we getting? So uh, void periods is uh, another common one that we regular update landlords on. So um, for South East England, it hasn't changed. I think it changed a, a day or two um, over the last couple of months, but it's maintained as an average across the country at 18 days, mm-hmm. which is very positive. Um, typically, a tenant will be in and out and there'll be a week void period in most cases, but obviously not all circumstances are the same and across the country it's 18 days. It's positive, isn't it? It's positive that the void period's not increasing. I know when we spoke to uh, Matt on, I think it was episode four of this season, um, the DPSMD, he was very much saying that you could see tenancies increasing in length. So that's probably evident on the fact that prices have gone up and people don't want to move because they know if they move, they're going to have to spend more money, I would have thought. Is it, would, you, would you say so, Mike? Yeah, I mean, if you're renting a flat at £1,000 a month and your renewal's coming up and you can see three other flats coming up and renting in your building for £1,200, you're going to stay put, aren't you? Yeah. Um, you're not going to take that gamble to move. If, if you can see everything else around you priced higher, it's going to encourage you to keep your tenancy on for longer, um, which, again... For the for the long term landlord, for the investor landlord who's looking at long term capital appreciation, it's lower hassle. Yeah, definitely. I I, I ran a um, a case study for someone the other day actually on a buy to let, um, and it was just based on a, a standard two bedroom freehold around here. Um, purchase price would have been three hundred thousand in this instance, and this uh, new investor was looking to buy their first buy to let. Um, they had just over a hundred grand sat in the bank account. And they had more than that, but that's what they wanted to invest in in a property. And we were just looking at what is a real safe bet asset for them to invest in. Um, that particular property at um, three hundred and fifty thousand, I should say, not three hundred. It used to be worth three hundred, but that's the increase. It's gone up. Hopefully, it'll go up more for them. Would have meant a deposit of eighty-seven thousand five hundred stamp duty. They would have paid eighteen grand on. Um, so a fair amount of tax. So you're really looking at a long-term investment there solicitors mortgage that kind of stuff probably get changed from two and a half grand i would have thought so total investment in cash would have been hundred and eight thousand pounds now because base rate level mortgages are so low at the moment it was a 1.2 percent interest rate it was slightly under but i'm rounding it up for the benefit of numbers 25 percent uh 25 year repayment um obviously 25 percent has gone down and based on interest only 
it was £263 a month. Um, and the rental for that particular property was going to be 1200 So crazy, crazy amount of money. You take obviously some agency fees and capital gains and this, that and the other or some tax out of it. I mean, really, you're looking about £800 a month profit on that particular asset. And then I guess someone would probably set up a 10% overpayment on the interest-only mortgage so that the, the debt is starting to decrease. Um, but in reality, that's that's crazy profit for that level of investment. And if we compare that to it sitting in savings, it's pretty easy numbers, isn't it, from a savings perspective at the moment? Yeah, it's going to take you a couple of years to pay off the tax. But the flip side of that is in that couple of years, if we if we continue at even half the pace of property price inflation, they'll have made, what, £70,000 capital growth mm-hmm. on that property within two years it takes them to pay off the tax. I say they're paying off the tax, the tenant's paying off their tax realistically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. I think once you've kind of looked at the 108,000 and it's like, right, that's my investment in whichever way it is, whether you can physically see it in equity, it's just that's your spend. It's almost a business transaction. Um, When you look at that spend, how quickly do you make that money back? Well, in this case, very quickly. But like you say, the most important thing is the tenants paying for it, especially if you do the 10% overpayment on your mortgage, the tenant is, is running down your debt and therefore add asset appreciation to it over the 25 years kind of fixed term or the 25 years mortgage term, I should say, how much is that 350 going to be worth? I mean, you've got to say it's going to be worth half a million pound plus based on kind of recent data, if over, not more. Over 25 years? Yeah, yeah. I'll go 850. Well, there we go. It's scary to think about it. <laughs> you should think a two bed worth 850, but even if it's there's a, diff- a totally different currency, isn't yeah. it, when you say it like that? But if it's, if it's going to go up maybe double and a half, in 25 years, you're yeah. talking £800,000 plus. Yeah. Well, for numbers sake, um, I re- I do buy set of the week, which you know, you guys know. Um, we had one last week, which went to, and it's gone up 268% in the last 20 years. 2002, they brought it for 125000 Yeah, It was sold within a day of going to market, not with us, with another agent, mm. and was on for 335 the data would say it's going to go up that amount. The the sensibility in you wants to be pessimistic with it for the benefit of that investor. But when you look at it, yeah, there's no reason why, even with a even with a correction or a dip in the market, that it's not worth those those astronomical numbers. And I go back to that hundred and eight grand set in the savings account and think it's not going to make you that money in twenty five years. It might be one hundred and ten by then. Yeah, exactly. Or it might be less. And you know, we've looked at that stat based on inflation. Yeah, yeah. You know, you take a hundred grand and you say inflation's five percent across the year, when in reality that hundred grand is worth five percent less because it's the cost of living is, is that much more. Um, Just while you're on savings, uh, I have noticed in the last couple of weeks I've had a few people call in actually asking for advice on that where they've got. 70 to 150,000. There's three different people I'm specifically speaking to, and they've said that they've had money in the bank and it's not earned them any money. What what can they do with it? What should they do with it? Yeah. Well, that's that's the key thing, isn't it? it? It's if you invest in property, you know at the moment, as long as you're looking at it long term, it's very very difficult to what we would say in in the sales estate agency game buy a spanner at the moment (laughs) it's pretty hard because even if you do buy a spanner even if you get a little bit over market value and you bought something which is a little bit top end 
when a market is increasing at this rate and we look at supply and demand for buyers and next next year's price for this year's house absolutely so within a year it's it's caught itself up Yeah. yeah Absolutely. We're handing keys over, and we've mentioned this before, but we're handing keys over at the moment on a 12-week transaction and saying, well done, you've made £10,000 on this house already on the day of completion, before you've even put your sofa in the living room. Um, so in in the analogy of a property investor, before the tenant has even moved in, you've probably made ten grand on a 250 350 purchase comfortably. So yeah, we're obviously plugging the investing market, but at the same time, if people have got questions and they've got concerns or they, they want to conflict our information and our thoughts on it, then, yeah, let's let's have that conversation with people. You know, so we're always good to kind of spark comments and, and debates and, and topics because some people are some people are scared about the horror stories, aren't they? But I think what having Matt on on episode four of season two, which. I would imagine is probably episode 12 if people are looking on the podcast, maybe episode 11. Um, as the DPS MD, he gave a lot of security around actually what the statistics were. I found that episode really interesting. I don't know if you did, Mike, but he, he shared some some more positive stories about the horror stories. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact is things go wrong, but you've got to factor that against what are the chances and how often and how wrong they go. Um, and when you break down the percentages of how much of a deposit is re- is returned to the tenant, why the deposit would be withheld from someone, and how much that co- how much trouble that causes you, it's, it's minimal. Yeah. Um, yes, you can get into risky markets. If you're going to rent tatty properties, you, you're going to get low quality tenants. There's absolutely no doubt about the correlation of that. But when it comes down to it, if you're going to rent a smart house to to a family that look just like you you're going to get a family who are just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that comes with its own securities. Tristan, what's the trends that you're finding at the moment from a tenant's perspective? Are you seeing any changes at the moment with what tenants are looking for? Is it still classic families looking or just you've got tenants looking for everything at the moment under the sun? I'll tell you one thing that I have noticed. I've had a load of people register that haven't given notice on their property. And that's solely because they've been looking for such a long period of time, haven't found what they've wanted and lost out on five, six, seven properties, some people even more. Mm. And they don't want to serve their notice and be in a a case where they haven't found something. Um, And I'm seeing that daily at the moment, Um, very common. Everything that comes on the market at the moment's going, as we all know, but typically family homes are the most popular I've found, three bedroom, four bedroom houses, somewhere they can grow their family, children will go to school and, and be there long term. But um, yeah, certainly a demand mainly for families, but but everything goes. I mean, two bedroom the other week, 15 viewings, eight offers, two bedroom flat, no garden. So that, that just says the demand for everything right there. Do you think that is a an alarm bell for landlords then, knowing that a percentage of tenants are actively out there looking and the landlord effectively doesn't know because they've not served notice? Or actually, do you think landlords just shouldn't be worried about that? Because if the tenant moves out, they might have a two-week void period, you know, three, four weeks if they're unlucky, but the chances are they're going to see the rent increase. Do you think that's something they should be worried about? Should they be should they be prodding and checking in on the tenant? What advice would you give on that, Mike? Would you be booking some midterm inspections in, checking how the tenant's doing, offer them a WhatsApp, just see how things are going, or just leave it alone? And I think I think communication with the tenant's always important. 
um, because the better relationship you have with a tenant, the less likely they are not to pay the rent, the less likely they are not to clean the property when they move out. Fact is, people do need to move on. Fact is, people do need bigger houses when they have children, when they start working from home for the first time. And if you're the landlord of a one bedroom flat and the couple living there are pregnant, there's nothing you can do about that. You just wish them well, shake, shake them by the hand and, and, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, make the check out for them as easy as possible. So look, with 18 day void periods, that simply means that landlords are holding back their properties to, to decorate them in between tenancies. 18 days can't get any shorter than that on average, mm-hmm. um, because people will always keep their properties empty for a certain period between tenancies. So if your tenant moves on after two, three years, as long as you're not constantly seeing tenants move in and out within six months, because that indicates you're the problem, not the market, not the not the tenant. You're the problem if you have three tenants in a row who yeah. move out after six months. Um, maybe you, you look. You should be looking at how you're maintaining, how you're acting, how your agent is acting. is quite it's quite a simple one to look at for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, you guys don't need to agree on this, but I just thought I'd ask some questions on on what you would go for, what you would advise people. If people are thinking, right, I've got to invest in property, I'm going to find the money, I'm going to make it work because I don't want to miss out on the opportunity that's there at the moment to make a lot of money. Um, If people were looking at buying different types of properties, would you go at the moment, if you had a property that was close by a train station with good links into a major city or London connecting, or you had a property that was really close to a bike ride or a short walk into some open land, nature reserve, you know, different forests, that sort of thing. If you were buying at the moment, Tristan, which one would you say is is a better option? Nature, train station? Well, it's a difficult one because... That's what I'm asking. If, it, it. <laughs> if it's for me, it's different, but everyone's circumstances are different. We, we all know that COVID's changed the way we operate as a business, a lot of people are working remotely now, so they don't have to be near to a station. A lot of people have their own transport, so once again, they don't need to be near a, a train station. But not everyone's in that case. Mm-hmm. Typically, I'm finding more people don't really care whether they're close to a station at this moment in time and haven't done for a little while. But there are the odd couple of people that I deal with that, that do want to be near that. I'd probably say there's more demand for outdoor space being to especially if it's a family be it being near to that park or whatnot um so do you think maybe then mike it's that question is easier answered if you split your investment into two different types you've got the couples or the individual let so you've got a one bed two bed two bed house one bed flat two bed flat two bed house um do you feel that maybe they would be more swaying towards station and then if you're looking at three beds and upwards that's maybe more towards nature or have you got a different opinion on that? I think rental stock is so undersupplied at the moment. It literally doesn't matter. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'll be that savage about it. It just, it just doesn't matter if you're in the home counties where we are, where everything's relatively well connected. You know, I can't speak about totally you know rural Herefordshire or, or somewhere out of my own marketplace because I don't know it, but where we are, everything's well connected. So whether you're 20 minutes down the road or 10 minutes down the road or right on top of it, people don't have a choice. Um, as an investor, if, if, if you're asking me as an investor, what what would I do? Education is, is still important. People still need to be near schools. People still prioritise schools. 
um, being close to the right school over being close to the office. Um, and I think that's more so now. Um, so that would be a, a big thing that I would look for personally. I do think there's one thing, though, going back to the very, very first podcast, and if you recall with kill, and he said something that's, that I find very useful and I think people should should also look into this, is you need to be very specific with your agent in terms of what you're looking for, what demographic of tenant you're going for, whether it's going to be the professionals that may have to commute or whether it's going to be the family home, like you said. Mm-hmm. So once you've worked out your budget, what type of tenant you're going for, I think that would then break down in terms of what type of property you go for. But as Mike said, the market's so busy, it doesn't matter what you have, it will go. Because we have landlords that say, look, I really want a family to move in here because I think a family's going to stay longer because I'm going to uproot the kids. Whereas some landlords would say, look, I don't want kids in there because kids are messy. Um, and the maintenance and the wear and tear is generally going to be that little bit higher when you've got kids in there, which I understand. Same reason why people sometimes say pets. We've had the child versus dog debate before on this podcast. Yeah. And, and I think the dog won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we won't go into that again. The next one that I wanted to talk about is you've got new builds and new builds we spoke about with Dom green mortgages are cheaper and you've got the EPC scenario. So if we were talking buying a new build versus buying something that's maybe 60s, 70s, 80s, that sort of bracket, the difference between the two for the property investor would be new build has got probably more bathrooms, probably more rooms, could be a townhouse. If the square footage was the same, you'd probably say the floor plan is going to show more bathrooms, more rooms versus a 60s, 70s, 80s property, but the rooms would be bigger potentially less bathrooms and potentially less rooms, a bit more open plan downstairs. There's benefits to both, but if I was going to push you, which direction would you kind of say is the best option might come into you first? I think the things to consider are the more bathrooms you have, the more potential plumbing problems they have, and the more bathrooms you have to replace over time. So you have to set aside a higher maintenance uh, pot to, to get them replaced every 10 or 15 years or whatever your cycle is. So that's something that can't be can't be forgotten about. Again, from my perspective, something that's got three bathrooms in it is probably a little bit overkill if you're renting it to a family. So people have an expectation for an ensuite, but it's not super necessary. So I still think the practicality that's offered from a 70s, 80s house probably outweighs everything. Cleaning as well, I'm thinking tenants, do tenants always clean? in the same level as a homeowner, maybe not quite as much, and then if you bring lime scale into it, more bathrooms, there's, there's probably that element to think about as well. More risk. Yeah, a little bit more risk. Tristan, what about yourself? Kind of, you've got that 60s, you've got that new build. What are the benefits for the new build purchase for, for a potential landlord? I think there's, with the EPC changes in 2025, that's pretty much, it's not confirmed, but it's pretty much near enough there. They have to factor in, for an older property, they're gonna to have to factor in the cost to bring it up to a minimum C rating, Whereas with a new build, it's already going to be up to that standard. So there's no cost element yeah. to to bring it up to that. So yes, it may seem more expensive on paper, but you're not going to be spending money on a new bathroom, a new kitchen anytime soon or a refurb. And you're not going to bring it, have to do works to change those EPC ratings. So you save yourself the minimum of £10,000 based upon the current averages. So I think that's a big factor. And like you said, with Dom, you can get a Green Deal mortgage, which is typically a better rate as well so mm. you can save in a mortgage and save the cost of, of spending all that money so i guess you, you kind of almost split two different profiles of potential landlord property investor and you could say if you were looking at new build you're really looking for someone that is not as overly fussy about the long-term growth because typically a new build 
much like driving a car off the forecourt, it takes a little bit longer to get the, the traction on the equity growth. But they might have put most of their investable savings into that property and therefore they're not going to ideally need to spend a lot of money short term. Whereas the other person might be looking for a longer term growth because typically that, that house bracket has got more momentum, more buyer demand and, and therefore more equity growth. So I guess you could split the two. One thing I'd say on the new build and a little tip for anyone that's kind of listening or watching, um, don't tell the new build developers I've told you this, but if you do go to a show home or you go to a site and you're looking at which one can I get the best deal on, the way that developers typically work is once there's a roof on top, which they call a stock complete new build, that is effectively dead money to them. It's an empty house and they want that transaction through. They want that money in the in the bank because it's available to be in the bank. Whereas if we look at something that's um, foundation level or first floor built, still looking, you know, scaffolding, etc., they can't get that money in the bank because no one can move into it yet. So if you look at stock or roof on, build complete, stuff that you could put a tenant into tomorrow, they're the ones that if you're looking to negotiate a deal you're probably going to get a best deal. So ask for on the site plan, which ones are build complete, which ones are stock units. And then that is the one that you're more likely going to strike a good deal on and hopefully save yourself some money. It might mean that they're not the best plot on the development or they're not the best position in the road. But if you're buying it as an investment, you're not going to live there. It's going to be a lovely new build development, you'd like to think. And therefore, obviously, the tenant's going to be happy in a new property, but you've saved yourself money. If you go buying stuff off plan and if you start buying stuff that's a new phase, for example, the developer is looking to get maximum price at that start of the phase rather than the end of the phase. So that's a tip that I would give to anyone. Um, Tristan, talking London it's been a topical conversation and I think over the last five, six years, we've seen the ups and downs of London. We've seen um, outside of the UK investing in London. Then we've seen lockdown, people coming out of London. What's the data saying on London at the moment? Yeah, so as you said, beginning of last year, um, Cornwall was the most searched place on Rightmove, um, whereas before that was London. Um, but phasing towards the end of the year, it's gone back to being London, the, the top searched area. Uh, I think stats say it as well, because rents last month increased by 2.2% there as well. And based upon the podcast we had recently with Matt from the DPS, he's also seen a trend of people starting to wanting to go back to London as well. So I think all of it combined together, it's starting to pick up there again. People maybe not happy near the seaside, whereas they thought they were going to be working from home and whatnot and having to return to the office potentially. Yeah. That may be the cause or, or maybe they're just too far away from, from all of their, their friends and family that, that still live there. Mm. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens over the next six months, whether it continues that way. It'd be interesting to see what happens with workspace because we know there's a huge um, gap in people looking for staff, looking for staff and getting staff. But it'd be interesting to see what happens with London in terms of people returning to the big office units and how busy is London at the moment, Monday to Friday in business hours. It'd be interesting to see how that unfolds, but we definitely keep people updated. Hopefully people have really enjoyed that kind of recap and insight into the lettings market update. What we want to do quickly now is kind of really get into just some quick wins that we all took away from the um, six episodes within this season so that if people haven't listened to all of them, they might know which one they need to go and pick that works for them. And if you've listened to all of them, this is just our take on it. So it'd be interesting if you agree. So the first one we had was Jamie um, Shepard from Soteria Planning. He really sort of touched on wills. He touched on um, what happens with your estate management 
effectively how to be tax efficient with your asset when you're not here, when you pass away, and to make sure your family benefit from it. And there were some wealth factor stats in there as well about kind of eight billion pounds being tax free inheritance. Obviously, not for any of us, but that was a really, really interesting episode. I know one of your favourites, Tristan. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favourite episodes. Um, we went into a lot of detail from that, and I think the biggest thing for me was you need to make sure you know what's going to happen with your assets after, and don't leave it for your loved ones and put them in a bad situation. And that's the biggest thing for Jamie as well. And another thing that he's mentioned that he's seen a lot of is people wanting to pass properties on to their children early so they don't pay taxes later on or to reduce the taxes. But there's other tax efficient ways to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth speaking to a professional in that industry to, to find out the best and most efficient way to do it. We said with this podcast, we wanted to do a podcast where we're not selling to anyone and we're giving people free advice. And I think Jamie in his podcast did exactly that. And it's probably advice that not a lot of us think about on day to day. I think it's fair until that situation happens. You're not really thinking about it, but he shared a lot of great advice with us on that one. I think most people are actively avoiding thinking yeah, about thinking yeah. about that side of life. Um, and certainly when we started our business, probably the best piece of advice that we were given was ask yourself the question why you're starting the business and what's the exit plan? Mm. Um, and that's how every good business should start with what does it look like at the end? And you're buying a buy-to-let, which effectively it is a business. So look at what you want to happen to it at the end mm. before you even buy it. And then you've got your planning in place before you even start because having a buy-to-let, having it for 10 years, then trying to figure out what you're going to do with it, it's impossible to unravel. Absolutely. And it's what struck us into thinking, why don't we get a business coach on this podcast? Because then we can look at it, how a business coach would coach a business owner. We can get their insight into potentially how they would coach someone looking to grow a property portfolio. Um, so that's going to be an interesting podcast. And that's one to look out for next season. We had... Um, Georgina and Matt come on and they were kind of ex-lettings estate agents one had done a bit of property management and sort of front of house if you like lettings agency one had been a director so looked at it from a different level we wanted to just get an insider's kind of view on that open insider's view on it what did you kind of get as key takeaways on that one Mike what were some of the things that sort of stuck out for you as interesting I think it's to an extent sharing what the ulterior motive is of the estate agent who's yeah. showing you that house. Do they have the expertise to advise you? Are they advising you or are they selling to you? Yeah. There's a massive, massive difference of who you want to listen to when you're making that decision. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. The industry has the reputation. We're not going to obviously start talking negatively about agents, but we all understand that departments and call centres and young inexperienced people, sometimes that can work in the sales part of it. But when it gets to lettings and we're talking about assets and property management and people's lives and money combined on a long term basis rather than a single transaction that's effectively sweeped up with by solicitors in sales which you don't have that element in lettings it's so important that the professionals are professionals and um, totally agree tristan i then at the end of the year gave a bit of a, a sort of inside recap on 2021 2022 we felt it was important to do it two decades worth of experience being a bit of a data geek so after that i jumped on and kind of shared my wisdom got myself off the fence uh, went bold with a prediction on what might happen in 2022. It was a short episode. It was the end of the year. And we thought it would make sense 
that Ian, the data geek, kind of put the data out there for people to kind of read into what happens. I'd say it was 90% there for, for 2021. So taking credit from that, when you get these things right, you've got to shout about it. But I don't know what you think, Tristan. I feel interest rates will stay low. Um, banks are going to stay competitive. That's the way it started so far this year. Stock levels are still low, but there is signs that we should see more come into the market. I don't think we'll see as many transaction volumes as we did last year because of stamp duty. But I do very much feel that we're going to see prices steadily continue to climb. And there's no reason why we wouldn't when it's so cheap to buy and there's not much available. But would you conflict that or are you pretty much on point with that as well? I feel you've got it spot on. I don't see it changing. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) But um, yeah, definitely see a slight increase. Maybe not a substantial increase from what we've seen last year in prices, but I think a steady increase will continue. Uh, until stock picks up, it's going to continue that way for definite. Good time to invest in property, as we often say on this podcast. It's a good time. No ulterior motive on that. We just believe now is a really good time to invest in property. Um, we got Matt on from the DPS, and I was I was looking forward to this podcast, but I didn't quite know what direction it would go. And actually, it was one of my favourite podcasts because I took so much from it, learning about trends and just getting an insight into what they actually see from a data perspective, again, being a data geek. But it was a good one, that one, Mike, I thought. Yeah, it's interesting. It came from a really high level, which gives you a really good broad knowledge of what someone's doing. And he wasn't scared of putting his opinion out there of Mm. what people should be doing, what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong, and why people get caught out as landlords. Yeah. So what what the common mistakes are and the the patterns that they can see where things happen over and over and over again that could be quite easily uh, eradicated yeah some of the key factors that he he pulled up on Tristan I know you wrote down and you're kind of using with your marketing moving forward yeah I think the importance of communication between landlord and tenant or landlord uh, tenant and agent Mm -hmm. uh, is important but also good quality detailed inventories which is why a third party company's probably the best person to get in Mm -hmm. because they don't have an opinion and they will go through and detail every single bit within that property and just keeping that throughout for definite. And there was something else that we touched on, which I think is good for landlords to to try and get a better understanding is about the no deposits, about the transferring deposits to to other properties in the future. Um, It's still early stages, but obviously they're trying to work with the government to to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I think, they're the best people for it being one of the biggest um, deposit holders yeah. uh, in, in England. Watch this space and, and definitely listen to that podcast. We got Dom on. Um, we wanted to get a mortgage advisor on at the start of the year because we need to know what's going on with the banks. We need to know what's going on with lending, what's going on with criteria, what changes there are, what tweaks there might be. And Dom kept using the race for space as kind of um, this really cool phrase that was interesting. But he feels demand for him at the start of the year is as high as it's ever been. He feels really positive about the market. But that was a really good, insightful kickoff for the year, that podcast. And Dom knows his stuff, doesn't he, Mike? He does. He's been, he's been around, let's put it that way. <laughs> he's, he knows his stuff and he knows his market. And he's a really interesting guy because he knows the mechanics of money. I've spent a lot of time with a lot of mortgage brokers over the years for my sins. And most of them... They just know what the rates are, who's the cheapest this week and how to do their paperwork without having a deeper understanding of why it actually happens, what the mechanics are, what's going and, and being knowing that and knowing how to predict what's going to happen next. Yeah. 
Dom knows what's going to go on with LIBOR rates, why money's changing. He knows why when interest rates went up in December, that mortgage rates fell. Whereas every other mortgage broker in the world will be saying, our oh, mortgage rates are going to go up because interest rates are going to go up. That's the obvious yeah. answer. His answer is the opposite. Yeah. I think you've got tiers of quality with mortgage advisors. Everyone kind of puts them in the same shoebox, but it's so different. People that can arrange a mortgage without advice, typically directly with the banks. Then you've got mortgage advisor by title, but they're not really giving advice. They're just a mortgage broker, arranger. And then you've got genuine mortgage advisors. Dom's a genuine mortgage advisor, um, much like Akil, much like Dave that we've had on. That's why we get them on because they've got a wealth of wisdom to share with everyone. So definitely check that one out. I think it was one of the ones that you felt you learned a lot from just about general sort of lending, Tristan. It was interesting to see um, his take on things. Any quick takeaways that you got from that? Yeah, I think all of it was insightful, like you said. And I think from from what he sees, he sees a slight increase of rates happening in the marketplace coming into 2022, mm. but still remaining very competitive, stress testing, strike, slightly relaxing. So the banks have become more competitive with the, the lending criteria than anything else. But he he predicts a rate will increase slightly, but but not substantially. And Good Lord invited our own Mr. Robson onto their podcast. They obviously heard the rumour that we were knocking out podcasts and everyone was enjoying them. And they thought, right, I'm going to get Mike on to share some of his wisdom. Good Lord, obviously, being our referencing company, they're a little bit different to most of them out there and they share a lot of quality data. But I'd imagine you enjoyed being on the other side of the mic for that one. Yeah, it was nice. And it was our most downloaded podcast of the year as well, which I just thought I'd uh, brag. Get that one in. Get that one in. Uh, you know, being, being the most popular of the three. But it was good because for those of you who don't know what Good Lord is, Good Lord is a lettings platform that estate agents use to aid them with compliance, tenancy agreements, referencing, and in some cases, additional sales of insurance. What they've done is revolutionise how that works. And where they are different from any other business is they take the data that we put into their platform, then release it for landlords and release it for agents to use to further their knowledge about what is going on. So it's a good podcast, not just my one, but it's a good one to listen to. Their news agent uh, sign up is fantastic. It's great for landlords. It's great for estate agents. So we thoroughly recommend uh, if you like what we do is to jump on theirs as well. Yeah, definitely. I think portals have a guesstimate when it comes to rental market asking prices. Absolutely. And they work off tenancies. So you, you get the factual information. And it's a little bit like clickbait, isn't it? Sometimes if you Google certain things, you only get a certain answer. But if you're looking for market research and you want some detailed information, that's the place to go to. And definitely check that podcast out. So that was season two in the wrap. This is kind of the recap and summary. Hopefully people have enjoyed our detailed market update. Hopefully people have enjoyed that recap and they've enjoyed the different podcasts. If you haven't listened to all of them, go and check them out. We love your feedback on it, uh, comments, reviews good or bad let us know if there's anything that you want from us on the next season we've got most of the guests booked in i'm excited for the guests that are booked in for for season three we're going to keep it going weekly every friday make sure you check out the new episode and thank you everyone that's listened until the next time we will speak to you all soon i'm flicking through youtube and through spotify i don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on youtube 
that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agent's ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year, yeah. but why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously a stamp duty cost that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.